Peltero Pickle, episode 131. We have a huge discussion about travel ball, the state of the game, just what is happening with travel ball and showcases. Talk bat speed, trouble with tracking, and then Sal Freilich makes his major league debut. Check it out. Pelotero Pickle, episode 131. Uh, I'm coming to you live from my mom's basement. This is like a peak podcaster, blogger type atmosphere. we got some construction going on if you're watching our video. Uh, joining me as always is Chris Colabello. Before we get started, a reminder to send us your questions, topics to uh, pickle at pelotero.com via email or hit us up on Twitter at Pelotero Pickle or just hit us up on my account or Chris' account. Chances are if you're listening to this, you follow us or are aware of us online. So find us. Uh, I'm in New Hampshire, back home for the week, seeing family. Uh, Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? That was so much more less energy than what you had in the pre-show situation. That was like weak. I'm good. Yeah, you're going. I like when you flow. Go ahead. That was weak. That was weak. I would love to have a show where you talk the most, and I don't. I'll just listen. Well, I'm the host, so typically I try to I try to put on a tee for you. Topics I had today, a disappointing showing in a home run derby yesterday. You like I can't. Put you were in a home run derby. Yeah, so the Worcester Brave Heart Nuggets do a home run derby after their Sunday games, and I thought it was just a thing where they kind of mess around and did it as a team, but they actually do it as an event on the field after their don't, Sunday game. Doesn't the, doesn't the Futures League do home run derby to do uh, for extra innings? Yeah, that is brutal. But this was – they just do a little – they take one of their players and they do a one-on-one in a home run derby. So and they told me like I was going to – so yeah. any guest? <laughs> yeah, I was going to hit against one of the players, and I said, nobody prepped me for anything, no swings, off my couch, and I can't hit pull-side homers in BP because if I try, then I hook everything. So I really need to go oppo, and I have no career oppo homers at Hanover Insurance Park. So I took no swings, watched the whole game. It was brutal, and then hit no homers. The other guy hit six, ten outs. No, but I did hit a bunch of line drives over the second baseman's head. It's great. Getty would be so proud. Yeah. By the way, just side note that nobody will understand. Um, the document I sent you earlier, I we have a thing called the Getty scale. It's like a. I think that's going to be a formal part of Pelotero. So I can't wait to tell him. I'm going to see him this love, week. Love it. Yeah, it's a Getty scale. We've talked about the Getty scale before, but that's just a random side note. Little uh, little Easter egg. <coughs> um. I haven't really been doing much. We've been just traveling and uh, car riding. So I don't have any fun stories from the weekend, I don't think. I'm kind of lost in terms of what day it is in general. I, I know it's Monday, but it feels like it could be uh, tetrahedron right now. I, I'm just I'm, I'm lost. With what a great days. reference to that word. Yeah, I great thought you would reference. like that one. Tetrahedron is an uh, actual thing. But it's but replaced. it could be a, it could be the day of the week for me right now. It's the same. Yeah, it's all blurred. Tetra, tetrahedron is a four sided. So it's a three sided pyramid with a triangular base. 
So instead of a pyramid with a square base, it's a three-sided, it's all equilateral triangles with a yeah. triangular base. Yeah. Tetra, like cube, three. It's like a, yeah, it's like a, like a cube, but a triangle. Right? Yep. Rivet, just riveting content here. Love it. All right, let's jump into topics. I've been tweeting a lot about travel ball, and it's not even about travel ball. It's just about the industry as a whole. Um, have had some some clarity recently, which is good. Um, there was a specific. I, I still need to make this video, Patrick. I need you to teach me how to do like the the green screen effect on on uh, TikTok, so I can put my head in the video. Because there was a video that came across my feed, and it made me so mad. And so annoyed. So it was a kid. He, a kid hit a triple, right? So the first shot, it's like a, a righty batter. The shot's up the first baseline. First thing I noticed is the grass just not cut. It's just the word, like no edging on the lines. The There is a foul line, which is good, but the, the grass is like five inches long. Um, hits the ball to right field, and it says triple with an exclamation point. And I, I'm not faulting this kid because he hit the ball hard and he ran hard. Um, you look up at the first base coach, he's got an elbow guard and a shin guard on wearing shorts in the polo shirt, which I hate because based on the rest of the video, nobody should be wearing an elbow guard or shin guard because nobody's like the level of play is not high enough to demand that. I, my, my crusade against shin guards against bad competition is I'm losing that battle. Basically my theory is if you are facing a bad pitcher, you shouldn't hit the ball off your shin. So if you're wearing a shin against a pitcher throwing 72, you're declaring that you're not good or that you care more about looking cool than playing well because wearing a shin guard makes you slower. So I just I hate it. I hate the whole thing. I almost just swore right there. I almost cursed. That's how mad I am. You're going to die on the sword here, kid. And I, I want you to know that. You're going to die on it. Cuz oven mitts and shin guards and elbow I don't mind are- I don't mind the oven mitt. I don't mind the oven mitt cuz like I I've, I've broken my finger sliding into second base. Um, I've also hit a, a, a line drive off my shin before, but it was against a 92 mile an hour two seamer and it hurt. Yeah. So wear it. I actually hit one off my calf one time and I couldn't walk for a week, but a shin guard wouldn't protect that. I think most, most of the time the shin guard doesn't even work. You're, you're hitting it off the top of your foot or the side of your foot, ankle bone. It rarely serves its purpose other than looking cool. And it does look cool. I'll, I will concede that it looks cool. Anyway, this kid hits a triple, right? It looks like a line drive that like got past the right fielder. You can't really tell if it took a bad bad angle, but the right fielder, I'm going to do a play-by-play. So line drive to right, kid takes off running, camera pans late. The, The right fielder stops and starts running backwards, but he's jogging. He's not running hard. The camera pans as the kid runs from first to second, second to third. Pitcher just standing there. Second baseman just standing there. Shortstop, just standing there. The throw is a little bit offline, so um, the third baseman comes up and get it, gets it, and then they finish panning, and the left fielder's just standing there. So this is a travel baseball game because it's it's a uh, the account it was posted from is a travel ball team. This is sixteen U baseball game because the team the team age level is in the handle. So we've got a misplayed ball and right. The entire team is just standing around doing nothing while this kid runs the bases. And this is what, like, the cost of this baseball game was probably $400. Because it's a tournament, 
they probably paid $400. And I bet every kid on the team says that they want to play in college. You want to play in college. You don't even, you don't even play the game now. What are you talking about wanting to play in college? You don't, you're not even playing the game. And you say like these kids are, they're paying probably like thousands of dollars to be on this team. hundred, a very expensive baseball game. <clears throat> Some tournament directors getting rich off of this. And you got a bunch of kids just standing around. Like you're not do you're not even doing being a cutoff guy. You're not backing up the base. You're not playing the game of baseball. Why are you playing baseball at the age of 16 at a on a weekend? Like go to the beach. Just go to the beach. Go try to get a girlfriend or something. Why are you bothering playing baseball if you're just gonna stand around and not play the game? I don't know. What are we doing? I, I don't know the answer to any of those questions. They're good questions. But I mean, they, literally, uh, like literally, like the, when the camera pans, let me see if I can, can you guys see this? So he hits it, right? I think the second baseman might've been the guy. So there's a coach, right fielder's got his back turned, standing there, standing there, standing there, wait for the left fielder. Just standing there. They're just, they're just standing around. Can you see that? Just a little cut off, but I got the idea. I had a picture in my head of what standing around looks like, so. Like not not vacating your position and just standing. So there's a, there was a runner on base because a run scored. So either second or third. Nobody's backing up bases. Nobody's. I think the second baseman had to have been the relay because the pitcher kind of blocked it. But it's. it's I mean, we're talking about a, a misplaced misplayed ball in right field, triple RBI triple. The score might have been a hundred and twelve to zero, for the enthusiasm that was happening. In which case, it's like, why are you even playing? Why are you on the field with that team? There's so much inefficiency in the travel ball slash showcase world. It is disgusting. So, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fix it. So that's fine. But it's just, I don't understand. Like, why are you playing? Why are you staying on a baseball field if you're not going to play the game? And backing because, up a base is part of the game. Being a cutoff because, guy is part of the game. The pitcher should be circling back behind third because that's, his job. That's how you play the game. I'm going to answer the question for you. It's because nobody gets held to a standard of compete. But they're 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 on there. I bet they're hoping that there's like a college coach of this game. What standard? What standard do you wish to be held to? Because now this video is online. Yeah. This is this is a forever. real thing. Yeah. And I'm I'm in now in a position to critique what's happening. And it's again, it's not the hitter's fault or the the cat like kid in a trip like he hit a ball and he got it to third base. I don't know that I would call it a triple because it was misplayed, but whatever. I've been to enough, I've coached enough games, I've been around travel ball enough to know that this is not like completely abnormal. These things happen. The the level of play is atrocious for the most part. Going to high school yeah. games, kids kids don't back up base. They don't know how to play the game. You're paying all this money to be involved in this this system and market, and you're not even playing the game. So the, le- the, yeah. the what what standard are you being held to? Like what standard do you want to be held to? You're not you're you're playing at a sub twelve u let twelve u level. You're not so you're not even playing the, the game of baseball. The problem is, you're not being held to a standard because a most of the people coaching him and it's really not, it's not the kid's fault in a lot of ways. Like if they haven't been taught, then it's not their fault. So that's my whole point, right? Is 
we live in this world where it's pay to play, right? But pay to play is now about individual gains, individual lessons, individual moments, individual training. And so nothing revolves around the concept of true team sports. Everything is in a showcase model. Even orgs are so tired of the tournament scene that they're doing their own showcases at schools on location, trying to get coaches to show up in environments like that. Because I just saw the Boston Open here, which is one of the bigger tournaments in New England. And there were 256 teams, I think, in a bunch of different divisions or brackets or whatever you want to call it. They played in 30 different locations. So the idea is it's this mass gathering of people with the idea that it will incentivize more college coaches to show up. Again, to be clear, they're not going to watch bad baseball and do anything different than they already do. And again, the challenge is what, what are these kids being taught? So how many private lessons do they do in the off season versus team practices? How many private lessons do they do during the season versus team practices? And then kids want to say, Oh, well, I can't come to the game on Tuesday because I have another event that I have to go to. So as much as people complain about we play too much, and don't practice enough, you still don't even play enough because you play a bunch of games, but they're not actual games. They're not they're not games where you're trying to like score more points than the other team. So everything's being built in a showcase format because players actually think that they need to just metric to be good and and be good at a skill as opposed to how that skill translates into gameplay. Yeah. There, there's a lot of things that are that are broken, and I had a conversation with somebody yesterday about this, and he said we were talking about just the inefficiency of the game and how travel ball in a lot of in a lot of regards is just broken. There's just what people are paying for and what they think they're getting. I think for the most part, people are trying to pay for validation. They're paying for ego purposes that if they're on a travel ball team. They got to be on the good travel ball team. There's so much time and money being wasted. And the, the friction is like, it's all, it's all an alignment issue. And there's, there's just, there's different problems that are happening, but essentially you have the players who want to get better. You have the coaches who want to help the players get better like that. Those two things fit really well. You have, players who have a limited amount of time to get better and coaches who know they have a limited time to get better. The thing that happens is the local coach right now, their, their subjective analysis isn't valid enough for the parent and the, and the player. So if you tell a player you're not good enough, that, that parent's going to go pay somebody else to find out because for whatever reason, they're not getting the answer they want or they don't trust it. There's doubt. So they would rather go pay perfect game $800 to go to a showcase to get some grade to get some BS write up about, you know, quick path, blah, 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 projectable frame, blah, blah, blah. You'd rather pay some organization to give you a validation. And then that coach is sitting at home going like you've, you've given that organization more money than you've given me in four months. And I'm, I care way more about your kid than that organization does. So there's all this friction in terms of, 
the coach is actively trying to help. They have the most influence on your kid at a local level, but the parents don't currently trust the assessment that's happening at the local level. So that's where all the time and money's getting lost because they think they need, they want to be told they're good enough. I think ultimately, and I just tweeted this this morning, they want to know the truth, but they don't think they're getting the truth from the local guy. So can you imagine, can, so think about this. If you looked at any given travel ball organization, right? And let's just say there's in the state of Massachusetts, let's just throw some arbitrary number out there. There's a hundred, right? Just making a number yeah. up. You're in central mass. And some guy, some guy replied to me the other day. There's seven teams in central mass, like yep. just in that, in that pocket. Yeah. So if you, if you looked at central mass, right. And then now within those, you're going to go, okay, well, there's a, there's a college prep team, which is, you know, an 18U or 17U or whatever. Now, by the way, 17U, if you're a senior in high school, you're allowed to play 17U. So even if you're 19, you can still play 17U, which in and of itself makes no sense. Because when they put the age restriction on it, they didn't realize how many guys were going to reclass and all that stuff. Yeah. So the point is you're taking all these guys and you're taking these, these pockets of, of travel ball. So let's say it's a hundred and let's say at one time in Massachusetts, there were maybe, I don't know, 70 high schools that played division one high school baseball, 50 that played division two and 60 that played division three. I, it, it's probably more than that. I'm just making up some number. But if you, if you really look at it in its totality, let's call it 200 high school baseball teams. At a time, there were 200, right? You had the top tier, the second tier, and the third tier. That didn't necessarily mean anything. A lot of it was geographic. But now if you look at an org and you say, okay, well, there's 100 orgs, and they might have three teams at an age group, right? If you, so if you're on the third 17U team or 16U team, that means you're playing JV, basically. You're, you're a JV baseball player. And we weren't so sensitive about telling people that at a time. And I said this to somebody the other day. When we were in high school, if I didn't make my high school team, there's a pig's ass chance in hell I was thinking about playing college baseball, right? No. There's no no shot. I got guys that get cut. And right, wrong, or indifferent, sometimes there's extenuating circumstances. But we got guys getting cut from their high school team thinking that they're going to go on to play high-level college baseball. Now, again, there have been situations where guys are at really good high schools and they get cut from the varsity. And they can probably play Division two, maybe even Division one baseball. I've heard stories about guys going to play defensive back in the SEC that – got cut from their high school team or whatever. We're so far removed from telling somebody they're not good enough at a certain point in time that now the expectation is completely flipped on its head. I can't even fathom a world in which I I was at uh, one of the games this weekend. There was a kid on the field, had his headphones on, had his sleeves rolled up. My coll- my high school coach would have probably slit my throat at the field if I did that. Again, I'm not trying to sound like the guy yelling at the clouds, but it's just a true, it's a reality of it. I wouldn't have been allowed on the field, but now that kid expects to get innings in a college summer ball league, right? He expects to have a job in summer ball if he plays at a bad division three school. There were five summer balls when we were in college, right? You had to earn those things. You had to, I had to beg to get in any CBL. The beg, literally. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody knows this, but I hit 321 in the major leagues. I had to beg to get the summer ball. 
So the point is we're just not okay with telling guys they're not okay. And that's the fundamental problem. I don't, I don't know that it's, we're not okay with telling people they're not okay. It's just when you tell people they're not good, there's no, (laughs) it's not accepted. And the, the person I was talking to yesterday, they were like, at, at one po- at one point, my coach told me I wasn't a D1 player. And I've been told that. I was hell-bent on going D1. The difference is we're not saying like, hey, you're not a D1 player or you didn't make the team, which they hear is like you're not good enough. If somebody said, hey, you're not a D1 player, and then here are all the reasons why. With objective data and like you're not strong enough, you're not, you don't throw hard enough, you don't run fast enough, you don't have enough bad speed, you're not – these are all the reasons that's you're not good enough right now. There's a difference between not good enough and you're not good enough right now. And if it's an honest assessment and then you have a plan to give them and says, Hey, here's your opportunity, your opportunity. If that's your dream, here's the benchmarks, dude. Like if you want to get into Harvard, you need to have really high GPA. You need good SAT scores. You, you have to meet those credentials. And if you don't, you're not good enough. So I want to take a time out right here. Cause yeah, this is going to wrap into our entire dialogue. What does being good enough mean? What does being good enough mean? Right? Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of different ways to say, hey, you're good enough, right? And this has to do with if we did a better job tracking games in high school instead of just randomly putting stuff in the game changer so that you could come up with a pitch count or some fake stat line hitting specifically consists of the ability to swing at the right pitches, the ability to make contact, the contact quality that you create, right? This is the metrics that they're, they're measuring in major league baseball now to define hitters. So if we, if we aren't tracking those things, we have no way of taking the kid that has less than metrics and saying that he's good, right? My nephew, Joey Rubin, take him, hit him as an example, right? undersized in high school. The kid was a really good player. A really good player. Even evaluators are getting brainwashed into believing that the only way to be good is checking the boxes. Like those boxes matter. What is what's the 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 minimum standard requirement? And if by the way, you're not good at hitting the ball far, you better be good at hitting the ball. If you're not good at slugging, you better be good at getting on base right? So you can contribute to the game in a lot of different ways, but we've done a very, very poor job at the amateur level, especially in high school and even college, of defining what good looks like in a way that doesn't just coincide with this is how much weight you move, this is how high you jump, this is how hard you hit the ball. And and so realistically, the system's completely flipped. So now everybody thinks it's exposure, 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 I got to go to tournament, tournament, tournament. And generally what happens is you look at an industry and the masses are call it 10 years behind the, the, the leaders of the industry, the coaches or the, the, the people at the, the higher level that are making the decisions, right? They're 10 years behind in terms of their awareness of what the thing is, but travel balls picked up so, so much momentum and it's just people are, are, are marketing the tournament because well, there's 10 more teams that are trying to enroll this year. Is it their fault for trying to take the money? Is it really PG's fault for taking the money? 
it's free market, dude. Like if you got people that sure. are trying to give you money, you just take it. And so I mean, I, I don't, it's, it's, it's it, a whole, it's a whole snowball yeah. effect. Now we yeah. need the industry leaders to be more, more in line with what the true purpose is. Like what is the purpose behind the game? And that's why I think you need baseball people leading baseball, right? You need well, the, people the concept that understand. Of, the concept of travel ball is good. It's like, oh yeah, let's get the best players together so that it's more competitive. But then it just it broke. Like it, <laughs> you get you get. I I just tweeted like if you're a travel ball organization, a mercy rule game should be viewed as a failure. You just, it just shouldn't happen. If anytime you're on a field and there's a mercy rule, something broke. You're you're not putting. You're not serving the purpose of what you're there for. If, but if you're, you're not allowed to have it. water cooler talk. If you if if you're a parent, as a parent, and this is to me the 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 cause of the problem now, right? The parent wants to tell people at the water cooler. There was a situation 20 years ago or 15 years ago at the the Auburn Sportsplex where they had the indoor softball league, and the coach of the team put on signs with nobody on. And would have his girls bunt every time because he knew the girls on the other side of the field couldn't field the ball. So he'd run up the score. He'd bunt. They'd be safe at first, steal second, steal third, bunt again. Like it, it was a. And I, I, what are you doing? Right. Yeah, so what, can we a, have a barometer for what coaching is? Can we set a standard to say this is unacceptable? But yeah, you're right. It's a failure, but a lot of people don't view it that way. I guess I. I I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. If you, it's it's an ego-driven thing, man. People get egotistical. A lot of it, a lot of it is. And yeah. the parents want to be able to tell people how good their kids are. So the root of it lies there. Like, I don't. If I, I don't were know a parent that right now, I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree. As as a parent, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to be told. I don't want to be able to like brag about how good my kid is. I want my kid to pursue a passion. I want them to have the opportunity to work hard. If it's something that I don't care what my daughters want to do. I don't, you could play piano. You could be a dancer. You could be a mathematician. I don't care what you're trying to pursue. I just want to put my kid in the, in the best situation possible to pursue that and chase whatever dream that they have with it. So I'm, I'm not on board with like parents. I think there are some parents that want like their ego stroked. And that's, that's a different, that's a whole different type of thing. That's typically like a parent that probably didn't have the career that they thought they should have had. Maybe something happened. Maybe they got hurt. Maybe they felt like somebody wronged them. Their high school coach cut them when they shouldn't have or something like they're living out a dream through their kid. And that's, that's going to end poorly no matter what. It's but not, Lou Colabello was living out his dreams through me. Let's just be clear. My dad's my best friend in the world. I love him to death. He's my best friend. Uh, Your dad wanted to be a power hitting right handed hitter. <laughs> he lived his career through me. He lived the opportunities that he missed out on through me. Now that being said, held me to a really high standard, helped me develop into the guy that want I wanted to be, right? And I don't think he ever forced it on me. Did he? Was he ever like pumping you up though, or he was more knocking you down than pumping you up? He was always telling you how he was going to get you out, not how. <laughs> He was never saying, oh, my son would take me deep four times a game. 
<laughs> he was he was saying he'd get you out. He'd be over four. Most comfortable like for four. When we wrestled, we wrestled when when I was young, and then at one point it just stopped. Right, we used to wrestle in the house, and then I think it was like I was fifteen or fourteen, and then oh, all of a sudden we stopped wrestling. That's, that's smart. He that's also smart. he also stopped throwing me BP. When one time he never used to get cleared behind the screens. He was he needed the triangle on the L screen more than anybody I've ever seen. That little section at the ninety degree angle. I smoked him in the kidney one time. That was about the last time he threw batting practice. And then he did throw to me an Omar Pena once, and I had to tell him, make sure you stay behind the screen. But it had been a long time. It been a long time. Yeah, he, he knocked me down more than he lifted me up. But that's okay. Got to get clear. But, yeah, I mean – I, so I, I played travel, but when I, when I was 12 was the first time I played on like a travel ball team. And we went to, it was the very first year of Cooperstown Dreams Park. Amazing experience. We did it after the all-star season was over. Initial travel ball world was like play for your local league. And then when that ends, you go play travel. Now travel ball is kind of replaced or local leagues are trying to coexist with the travel ball in a lot of places where like historically, like, they would play like the minors would play on Saturday. The majors would play on Sunday. Now it's like, go play travel ball on Sunday. The rec league is on Saturday to the point now where just kids are just abandoning rec ball together. And they're just, you know, there's eight U tournaments and kids are going out and playing six games in four days. And it's just, it's mayhem. Um, I, I just, I think, I think a lot of the parent, a lot of the current parents, the kids, you know, the ones that have kids that are eight to fourteen or whatever this age group that's in playing travel ball now, they grew up watching the better players play travel ball, so they think their kids need to be in travel ball to get the opportunity. But eight to ten years ago, the better players were playing travel ball, so it's like everybody, it's keep up with the Joneses, it's FOMO, it's it's all that stuff. So when I was when I was. 13, 14, 15, I played Babe Ruth in Milford, right? You play Babe Ruth and you, you yep. set it up around the town schedule. And, and then there's there was Senior Ruth. I think I played that when I was 14 after my my sophomore year. It was like, it was 15, like, it was like yeah, was junior, it was like 13 and 14 was like right. Junior Babe Ruth and then it was Senior Babe Ruth and then, it was, so then it, Legion, 16 to 18. You had, you had your, your town ball and then you went to, you know, travel or whatever, uh, we had in Milford, we had uh, all stars, and we also had a secondary thing where you took the guys that played rec ball and they went to a you'd play the surrounding towns, right? And it wasn't it wasn't considered all stars, but you also did all stars on top of that. So, what I'll say to that is this: the competition would get gross, right, in 13, 14, 15, because those are you start to see guys take paths toward other sports or other li- li- uh, lifestyles or whatever, music, whatever they're going to do. What what they did in Italy really well, that this is interesting, and I think this is part of what I was thinking about. You got people traveling to Maine and, and Georgia and North Carolina and all this stuff. And really, again, this was done, I think, for college coaches were the ones that drove this narrative because – they said, hey, a place like Lake Point, I can go watch 400 teams in a week and see more guys. Now, that's inefficient in and of itself because regardless of whether you go there, there's, again, 50 locations, blah, 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 blah. 
what they did really well in Italy is we played our our local baseball, which was technically travel ball because you would take the best players in a town because we didn't have enough volume of kids that want to play. And we would play all the surrounding towns. Then those surrounding towns, and it very much like Little League here, right? You'd go then play the districts, the state, and whatever. Italy's broken into regions. It's 20 regions. So we had a regional tournament, which all the best players locally were chosen for a regional uh, regional team. And those regional teams played against each other to see who would win nationally. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., theoretically, and I said this to my buddy the other day, if we took a coalition of five to ten towns, because you're not going to get enough signups in one town for a, a, a true rec league, take the five, eight surrounding towns, whatever it is, a 20-minute drive for everyone, and build a, build a develop, developmental league, right? And just go to the town boards and say, hey, this is what we're thinking of doing. This is what the, the fee is. It could be an eighth of what travel ball is. And you could get people like us to want to be involved in that from a developmental standpoint. You could make all the rules, say, hey, dad's not allowed to coach the kid's team, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But create it in a way that it, there's a heavy focus on development. What I would do, America, is I would just do it by state and then bigger states like Texas and California, you just break it up into pockets and just take all the kids that want to play. And we just haven't tried to do anything like that because travel ball sped up. And then now you can take each one of those kids from those levels. They could, there could be a selection process to do a regionals tournament type thing or state type tournament, like the best players in the state end up going to play. And PBR is doing some version of that, but yeah, I don't think it's. Well, I think technology <clears throat> access to objective measurements is going to just change that. It's, I don't think, I don't think the current showcase market's doing anything unique. It's not doing anything that can be done by other people with technology. It's just not. It's if it's a showcase, if it's a, if it's just an evaluation of performance, then there's they're not doing anything unique. There's no competitive advantage that they should be able to lean on. But um, yeah, lots to talk about there. Let's talk about. Uh, let's move on though. Issues with tracking bat speed. So, um, I was going back and forth with Driveline about this a little bit because I asked them like four or five times and they kept dodging me. I was getting pissed off, so I finally called out uh, Stokely. It's like, dude, why I keep asking you guys how you measure bat speed and you don't tell me? And I have it's some issues with how they're uh, well. If they're trying to be a standard and then they don't tell you how they measure stuff, then they can't be a standard because there's skepticism. Ultimately, what they're doing is uh, it's an equation based off of kind of what we were doing with our hit track assessment. It's basically like where do you hit your hardest ball launch angle wise and like how does that match up with your approach angle and basically where you square the ball up equals your exit velocity equals your bat speed. It's just a formula. Um one thing that's always been curious to me is Aaron Judge always shows up at the top of the leaderboard. I'm pretty sure Aaron Judge uses a bigger bat than everybody for the most part. 35. So, yeah. If if you swing a 35 versus other people swinging a 33 and your exit velocity is higher, does that mean your bat speed is higher or does that mean you're moving a heavier bat at the same speed and just that's what happens because – mass times acceleration equals force and you have greater mass 
acceleration is the same, force is higher, exit velocity is higher. So ultimately, like ipso facto, I don't think their measurements are accurate. Um, then you have like Hawkeye who is pumping out like 95 mile per hour bat speeds just randomly. Like if you go base, like industry standard to date has been like blast motion diamond kinetics. They measure different parts of the bats. Those two companies measure different parts of the bats. Blast motion will be typically two to three miles an hour faster than diamond kinetics. So issue number one is you have two different technologies with two different measures of what bat speed is. Then you throw in an equation from driveline. Then you throw in Hawkeye from Major League Baseball. I don't know what the heck we're talking about. Pets' heads are falling off. How do you know what it is if it's not consistent across the board? So You don't. You don't. If you don't, then you don't. And then if, like, driveline, you're using these numbers to create projections and say, like, oh, well, our system develops hitters and increases war, but you're – you control the formula, then it can be viewed as manipulative potentially not accusing them. I'm just, that's when I put those tweets out, those were the kind of text messages I was getting back being like, there's issues here that people don't trust those numbers. Um, And that's not, I'm not trying to attack driveline. I respect what they do, what they've accomplished. I appreciate what they do. I really do. Um, but if you're not, if you if you don't have consistent and reliable measurements, then the doubt will creep up, and then you, there, if you have doubt, there's no trust, and then blah blah blah, then it's bad. Um, how about what, yeah. how about just in so every the, the obsession with 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 bat speed, right? Anytime we're talking about speed on an arc, there are different points where acceleration happens there's different points where impact happens directional force directional speed impact speeds right a measurement is just as good as a measurement the the reason why miles per hour and is a metric or feet per second is a metric because over time that measurement allows us to go, oh, well, a car traveling at 65 miles an hour will travel 65 miles in an hour. It was never done necessarily to, to create a leaderboard of to who's going the fastest. Of, the, the, of something yeah, that the metric, in thousands the, of a second. <laughs> right. So the metric was created as a whole to just be able to say, okay, this is. It's a very relatable number. Speed, right. Yeah, it's so, a relatable number. To your point, I, I asked, I asked uh, the line drivers over there a while back. I said, are, "Is somebody really going to sit here and tell me?" Don't give a, if, you can't call them line drivers because drive line is a pitching term from right. sure. Um, what's his name, Marshall? So don't call them line drivers because it's not a hitting term. They're don't not even line drivers. Yeah, yeah, they're drive so, drivers. So. Yeah. I asked them a while back, I was like, are you really going to tell me that if David Fletcher and Aaron Judge have the same bat speed, that they're going to hit the ball the same distance and it's going to be hit as hard? It's just not true. And there's um, there's so many other factors that go into hitting. You know, all the guys talking about D-cell now, right? Yeah, the ability to transfer force into a bat, the ability to transfer the force ultimately into Rawlings, into the ball matters. So... 
we're going, we're take, taking so many assumptions and presumptions when you're talking about bat speed and, and, and the connotations that come with it. They're just so poor if you're thinking about hitting the spectrum of hitting and why the totality of what hitting is, is you have to evaluate probably 16, 30, 47, 92 different things at any given point in time to paint a picture of a hitter. I don't, it's the same thing we're talking about before the market, like are the tournament event guys assholes for taking the money when people are willing to give it. I, I don't just, just me being me where I just try to see both sides of an argument or all eight sides. Is it stupid to market it? The problem, the problem is, do you have a civic duty as a, an industry leader to do the right thing? That's what it's a morality thing, Bobby. It's really, it's what it comes down to. Do I have to have morals in, can I make money and be moral? We can make this philosophical, existential, whatever you want. If mm-hmm. you're an industry leader, you should be trying to push the thresholds of improving and enhancing society, humanity. And therefore, in our industry, it's a sport. It's the well-being of baseball. Hitters suck right now. They're terrible. Major League Baseball did a commercial where they had a, a shot clock countdown, 15-second countdown, which was insinuating the pitch clock, saying games are faster Batting averages are up. There's more stolen bases. There's more action. Ronald Acuna is going to steal 76 bases this year. Are we going to say he's as good as Ricky Henderson? Is that what we're trying to say? You made the bases bigger. You have pitchers not allowed to throw over. The games are faster. Oh, batting averages up. You told the defense they can't move. So screw you guys because it's it's all just a big marketing campaign because it's become so – commercial right it's just commercial we're not like that speed is not making hitters better it wasn't making hitters better a hundred years ago this is the shit i get fired up about which is annoying when you're a little kid guess what learn how to move the bat fast just go just swing man but learn how to hit the ball to a certain part of the field and it's it's holistic it's it's a totality of things ferber said this a couple months ago it's like, dude, the best kids in Little League should shred balls foul to the pull side all the time because they're going to face guys that throw six. And so they're going to be out front. And a 12-year-old is thinking about cotton candy and the cheeseburger at the concession stand after. So he doesn't know how to try to wait until somebody teaches him to. But that's it's, – it's, it's, it's harder than this. It's not that easy, guys. Stop just saying swing faster. Because what it's doing is it's just it's destroying a generation of hitters who now, again, put all their emphasis on – their bandwidth is limited, dude. They just don't have enough room. They don't have enough room in their brains to go, well, you know what? I need to think about how I control the bat. I need to think about what I swing at. I need to think about count leverage. I need to think about the scoreboard. I need to think about recognizing pitches. They don't know how to build plans like that. So we have to teach them to build plans. We have to help them understand it's not linear. And enhance your physicality while you enhance your brain. Because if you don't enhance your brain or your ability to play the game, then we're not really doing anything. 
And you got to figure out how your body allows you to maximize who you are so that you can contribute to playing winning baseball. That's what it comes down to. Kids are shattered right now. They're shattered. I talk, I talk to kids in our mentorship program, outside of our mentorship program. They're broken. Expectations up here. I've got to do this to get to where I want to go. No, 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 kid. You can be two foot six and 136 pounds and figure out how to contribute to winning baseball. And you don't have to swing like Aaron Judge or hit as far as him. Sorry. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> driveline, they explicitly, they, it's a probabilistic approach to the game. They, it, I mean, Kyle just did a, uh, he did a podcast re- recently. It's literally just gambling principles brought to baseball. That's all it is. And they, they've, I think it's like they weaponized mathematics, I think was something I saw the other day. That's Why do you think there's so many guys that throw a hundred in an organization or 95? Cause they're just, yeah. they're line them up, man. Line them up. Nobody knows how to pitch. Just line them up. Yeah. Um, it's, tra- it's strange state of the game. When you, when you look up and down the spectrum here, but then we have my guy. <laughs> We got Sal. my guy. God, I love Sal. So, Frelick. Sal Frelick had his debut. His debut. I, I've never talked to Sal. You talked to him. To take us through. I saw he made two really good catches. And yep. then uh, what happened the rest of the game? Did he hit a homer? Three no. for three. Game tying RBI. Game winning RBI. So, the first time Sal played at Boston College for friends of the program, Alex Treza and John Murphy and former coach Mike Gambino. And Alex and John had just told me about Sal his freshman year. He was Gatorade Player of the Year, in, I think, in football and baseball in Massachusetts. Ridiculous athlete, ridiculous competitor. And when I say ridiculous athlete, he's, you know, five, nine, ten, whatever, but runs well, jumps, all the athletic traits, right? But the best thing about Sal is he's, he's a really, really smart kid who has the ability to play naive and stupid which is incredible to me, right? It's If I had to describe Sal Freilich in one word, it's competitor. He's an ultimate competitor. Because honestly, just from a sheer skill set standpoint, he doesn't do that many things better than other people in baseball. He doesn't swing faster. He just he does what the game tells him to do, i.e. his first hit was a two-strike, excuse me, McNugget to third base for a knock. And everybody was, oh, my God, he put the ball in play. No, he played baseball. He, he baseballed, which was awesome. And then he got to first and gave the self-clap, which was awesome, because he got his first big league hit. And uh, so it was a national TV game. This is so South, right? Like, his first game in the big leagues, his debut is going to be a national league televised game, obviously with Ken Rosenthal and Tom Verducci or whatever. So Rosenthal comes, he's in the third inning, he's in the well. And I start texting Ken because I found out that the night before that Sal was going to the big leagues. Um, and uh, I text him in the morning, you know, let's fucking go. Pardon my language. I love cheat. Bleep. Um, and I'm, I'm just, he's going to own, he's going to dominate, right? He's just, this is what he does. He rises, man. And so Rosenthal does a little piece about his mom and dad and how his mom had to stay back to watch the dogs. And I text Ken. I said, I wish he'd told me I would have watched the dogs. So his mom could have come. I got plenty of dogs. The Colabella house is like a kettle right now. So, um, 
I said I said it kettle. It sounded like kettle. I want to be clear. I was saying kettle. Um, I thought you said kettle, which is fine. Yeah, gonna, so, it, sound, it sound it when I said it, I said, "Oh, it's my juiciness." So, uh, so yeah. So I text Ken during the game. I said, "I would have watched his dog," you know. And uh, so then in the sixth inning, he makes the two plays. And the first one, I, I said, I saw it lined up. He's got it. The second one, they were they kind of pant. They thought the center fielder. And I was like, "Nope, it's him too." And after the second catch, I said, literally the least surprised I've ever been at a debut. I said, the irony is he's probably going to go bridge next at bat. And he was already two for two. Um, and then his third at bat, he got the hit to tie the game. And then he came up. I Ali Connor watched uh, – Ali Colabello, Connor. Connor Colabello watched an at bat for the first time since I stopped playing because I came upstairs – and I was, oh, he's just three for three with two web gems. And her parents were about to leave. They're like, oh, my God, he's up. And he hit the he hit the line drop to right as a sack fly. And they were, thank you so much. That was awesome. So he, you know, he's making, Sally making baby. Happy. He's going to be their making best hitter. People. He's going to be their best player. Yeah. That's what he does. He just competes like it? crazy, man. Massachusetts kid, gamer, type of player that's easy to root for. That's for sure. That was I used that specific word with Ken in the text. I said he's a gamer, man. And he said he seems like a great kid. I said he is. He's a, a gamer. Just he's yeah. he's awesome. He's everything that's right about baseball. And I want more kids to watch how he plays day in and day out and learn from him. Yeah. No, that's great. So we'll we'll be paying attention. Keep doing your thing. Um without <laughs> you wanna know what I thought about when I saw him make the I was on the, the MLB app and I saw I saw his debut. I saw on Twitter that he um, got called up. There was a cool video. Did you see the manager like, "You good to play tomorrow? You good to play tomorrow?" Did you see that yeah, video? that was my AAA yeah. manager with with the. Bruce was it really? Brother. That whole staff was my staff from Colorado Springs. He had them. He had them in AAA. Um, yeah, Rick. So then I saw yeah. I saw that. So then I went to MLB app to check on the the game thing. And the first thing, the first video on the game highlight was like, I think it was the second catch. And the first thing I thought of was when you made your debut in right. And there was like a, there were two plays. One ended up being a homer, but you took like two steps in and then uh, like a, a rounded I, turn yeah, towards the corner. And, that I had the worst <laughs> routes ever on. I'm thinking myself. Well, the the yeah. one you caught was the one you caught was one of the sketchier that I've ever seen. You were oh, on the run, running in where I caught it, but it was my eyes. Huh? It was like, were, like, were your eyes bouncing on that one too? It's like. <laughs> Dude, that was the worst play like, ever. What's he doing in right? He's uh, got eight minutes of sleep, and he's playing right field for the first time in his life. Every like, pitch, just I was go get him. <laughs> I was turning to Hicks, being like, "Hixie, where do I go, Hixie?" And he'd be like, yeah. "Man, shut up, CC." And he, he would, you know, Hixie's on tape delay, so I, I'd be like, "Hixie, where do I go?" Half asleep. Yeah. The catch but I made—it it was Dan Ugla hit a pop up a, mi- a thousand miles in the air. And I, I saw the second baseman make that play. Yeah, yeah I, needed him I to saw make that Dozier play. run out. So I was like, oh, I'm just kind of like show jog. And then I looked down and I saw Dozier kind of looking at me and I went, oh, shit. And I just kept running and everything was bounced. I couldn't see anything. And I thought I was in the neighborhood. I just put my glove out and I caught it. I was like, oh, great. Two, uh, two underrated like things that people don't talk about in baseball. Number one is when your eyes start bouncing as an outfielder. <clears throat> the first time, the first time you experience your eyes bouncing and the ball just starts wiggling in the air, absolutely oh, terrifying. 
And the second thing is when you experience a time warp on the baseball field, when the game moves faster around you than what you're used to, how scary that is. Not, not enough people talk about that. Have, did you ever have that at the major league level? No, I don't think so. I, it, it's too late. I've played too many yeah. games. The only thing is you get nervous. I, I'm going to tell you this, though. The other day. Usually, you, sorry, it's usually the first time you make a jump. When you make a jump in level and the first time something happens fast and you're like, wait, what What? Yeah. What happened? That's a terrifying feeling. It's, it's, Did I talk about the charity game I played in on Pickle? I don't think, I, I don't think I've talked about the charity game. It was like three no. weeks ago and we haven't recorded episodes. So the kid, the kid that runs the team or the guy he says, where do you want to play? I said, the outfield closest to the dugout because I'm not running across the field. Yeah. So I'm in right field and let's just, I mean, just to be clear, I hit two rockets. Everybody was asking me if I was going to take BP, and I said, why? It's just BP is the game. And so I, I, I my second at bat, I hit a ball, probably 136. Um, I'm going to check track man at Polar Park to see. I'm going to go in there this week because Trevor Story's on rehab. So uh, 136 and 128, I think, were my exit velocities on my two hits, which just off my couch, not it's not that big a deal because I rake. But anyway, so I'm playing right field, and – there was a not small person hitting like he was a big dude, right? And that doesn't look like he runs well. So I'm like to the first baseman and you don't know, cause that's the sound you make when you're trying to get somebody's attention. Go, Hey, he hits it here. I'm throwing it first. We're in right field. So sure. And shit. He falls the ball off late and I go, here it comes next pitch. He hits the ball out to right. And you want to talk about the bouncing eyes. It's a line drive. And I come in on it hard. And I should have come a little bit less because I could have played it on a hop. But my eyes started bouncing. And I was so nervous. And then I just caught it at my knees. But I should have just played it on a hop to see if I could throw them out the first. The, bou- the bouncing eyes is the worst thing ever. You got to learn to run on the balls of your feet and be very soft when you're, when you're running the outfield or else you're screwed. It happens on just routine fly balls. Don't sleep on that or – when you're playing the corners, ball that's like right at you, trying to figure out which way it's going to spin or go. Oof, that's why the outfield is hard, or than people think. Quick side, just random side note. I just got a, a taste of some Hayward's M M&M and M ice cream, Patrick offering is that there. Patrick with a mustache. It is Patrick with a mustache. Oh. That was my wife chiming in on your mustache. <laughs> We're recording live, so if you want to come on, she's just taking a peek. You might be on frame right there. Yeah, yeah, he looks no. like a hipster. Patrick Producer Patrick. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Patrick I like comment. it. Yeah. Pa- Patrick's living in the city. He's he's living his best life. He's got the, he's the bears. He's doing it. He's doing it. Let him do his thing. I love it. When I saw him in Nashville recently, he had the stash. I feel like he could be riding like one of those uh, – the, the fixie, the bikes with no shifting gears. He could get a fixie. Just a, he, could, he could be riding a scooter. Whatever. Let's be clear here. We've reverted back. You want to talk about time warps? Mullets are back. Mullets Bell are back. bottoms are back. Flannels it's are the back. Mullet, the mullet like a, It's the 80s, dude. We're in the 80s. Yeah. 40-year cycle, Chris. It's all 40-year cycles. Yeah. It's brutal. Come up with something all right. new. Sal, good job. Um, the M&M ice cream from Hayward's in Nashville, New Hampshire is very good. Highly recommend it. Just had a little spoon full of that. So, uh, next topic: Mark Appel is opening up about the pressures of being a professional athlete. Uh, he's doing like a mentorship program where he's lining up 
current players with the current pro players with amateur players, which I think is really cool. Uh, the quote here in the tweet that was linked in the show notes says somewhere along the line, baseball became this thing of, Oh, I get, I got to get a scholarship. I'm looking at pro ball. Now it's a business. All these things start weighing you down. So Appel was, you know, was he one, one, I think he was first overall pick. Yeah. Um, career career never really panned out the way that people thought it would, but he's being open about kind of his journey and expectations. And if you're a youth baseball player, amateur baseball player with dreams, probably a good follow right now. Somebody you should just pay attention to what they're talking about because he's lived it. He was a golden child of the game and it didn't work out. He's going to have different lessons that he can teach than like Bryce Harper could teach you. So just to highly recommend to follow, pay attention to what he's talking about. Um, I think what he's trying to do from a mentorship standpoint is fantastic. And um, it's the types of things that we're trying to do more from a player development standpoint. <clears throat> he's doing it more from a, a human standpoint, which is admirable and awesome. So more than anything, just kudos to him. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Um, no, I think he's great. I got to hang out with 1-1 one, one back when. And uh, he's a good kid, man. He's it's stuff that doesn't get talked about enough. It doesn't, get, it, you know, we, we, we in this day and age, we're, we're talking about mental health more, which I think is good. Um, we're making it okay for people to talk about it. I think, and I don't want to sound insensitive when I say this. There's a there's a piece of all this where no matter what you do in, in society, people are going to go too far on the opposite side, right? So if you think about somebody trying to take advantage of that, right, when it's it, it's a real problem, right? It, it's a real problem. I, I dealt with my own issues. I dealt with a lot of stuff that I'm sure Mark dealt with. I just never had the, the scrutiny or standards of being 1-1, one, one, right? And the burdens that you put on somebody of being that position, if they're not you have to be raised in a way that you have to have ego. You have to have some protection, some form of protection to all this. And that's why I tell people it's always about balance. It's balancing confidence and humility. It's, it's balancing your arrogance and your ignorance. It's, there's a blend here that has to exist. Because if you're just a good kid, right, the, the, the salt of the earth, the kid that – you're raised properly, morals, ethics, values, and you're smart. And you're aware of what's going on around you. As soon as you get put in a position where you're the center of attention, it can come crumbling down quickly. And it's it's a really unfair paradigm. Now, that, I think on the other side of it, again, I, I think there are people that try to take advantage of the fact that we're in we're in a place where we're being much more compassionate to the way people feel. Right. But this is a real problem. And, and, and we've got to help people deal with the problem so that it becomes less likely that in your teens and 20s, that like uh, fragile times as a human where you haven't had enough life experience. And, and, and I think it's all tied into a lot of what we talked about, where the, the article that I wrote a couple of weeks ago the, about this is why Jeff Fry's mad at everyone. Young people are, they're, they're much more predisposed now 
to not listen to their elders, to not let, listen to their authoritative figures. They don't even, in a lot of situations, they don't even respond. I, I, I was talking about something, and this is all going to tie in together, where a, a young player, it was either me or his college coach or a guy that's trying to recruit him was reaching out to him, and he just didn't answer for three days. And I'm thinking to myself, if my coach, when I was young, or somebody that I looked up to that was a mentor to me had reached out to me, I, I'm answering immediately. If Rich Gedman sent me a text, he's getting a text back in three seconds. I'm stopping everything to do that, right? And now it's it's like there's so many distractions and things to help you get lost mentally that it's imperative to have a trusted source. And I think what Mark's doing is we got to build trusted sources here, right? But they also have to be people that help you understand. It's not it's not about folding. It's not, not not about caving to the pressure. You have to learn to build mechanisms to deal with the pressure, to deal with the stress. And I think that's where it's, where it's all getting messed up is we're not teaching people to deal with it. We're, it's almost like, and, and you can wrap this into the whole travel ball scene, Bobby. Hey, you're going to get kicked in the nuts at some point, kid. It's going to happen. You get punched in the face over and over again. Life's going to do it to you. We got to help them understand that when they're young. Because if we go through our teens and into our 20s, then you get the professional baseball, and it's the first time you encounter it. Oof. Think you're going to thrive there? Think you're going to figure it out? So, a lot of what I do and a lot of what our mentorship program is about is about this. It's real shit, man. Mm -hmm. Pretty powerful. Pretty good. It's more, I think, historically, like the whole mental health type thing was seen as an excuse as opposed to a reason. And it wasn't, it was viewed as like weakness or being soft, which <clears throat> is not, I don't know, not the best way to approach that because it's real. And it's, um, if, if you, if it's the first time you face, <clears throat> really is most players that go on to play in college or play in pro ball. <clears throat> they probably haven't faced real failure in their entire careers. And the first time they face it, it's like their identity is gone. They, they lose their, <laughs> their reality. And that's not good. It's just not, it's, it can be a pretty dangerous place. But if you learn to deal with it and if you learn to embrace it, it'll be the most powerful and impactful stuff you do in your life. Um, friend <clears throat> of the program, friend, friend, friend of Sal Frelix. And I'm going to mention Swaz because he listens to the show a lot. Um, him and I have talked a lot, right? And I think Swaz and I have talked after Sal's game. And we were both like, are you surprised? It's like not even a little bit. And uh, Swaz is doing a really good job. He's in double A. Um, he had a little injury, came back, and uh, came back quick, didn't have a lot of bats. And uh, the last two nights, he's 0 for 4 with five strikeouts. And I looked at the box score yesterday, last night, and I said, you're okay, keep going. And my favorite text I've ever gotten from him, my favorite text, and this is something we talked about. And he put in quotations, dot, 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 and said, give me the shit that's hard. Give me the hard shit. Because that's one of the nice. things that I, I try to, I, I've, I've said to him before, and I, I, give me all the hard shit, man. Give it to me. Put it on my plate, dude. I can deal with it. That's why I say I want to be 0 for 20 in the show right now. I don't want to be 10 for 20. I want to be 0 for 20. Give me the hard stuff. Because I'm ready to handle it. And when you learn, it's so freeing, Bobby. It's just it's, it's just different. I wish for everybody to get that feeling when they're 20 years old. 
I like that a lot. Um, I was I, I don't know that I've ever spoken with him directly. I just know a lot about him through you, but I he's now my friend because of that. I like that. I want him to be on the show. I told him to come on the show. Let's do it. All right, we have one post show topic: the most impossible feat in sports, which I feel like you're going to be personally offended by. I don't know if you ever had a chance, but no right handed batter has ever gone. Uh, has never achieved a splash hit in Oracle Park, San Francisco. Did you ever play there? Uh, I no sat game? on the bench there. No, I sat on the so, bench in San Francisco. All right. Uh, so it's I maybe have one recorded up out there. It's 309 down the line, 362. It says plus 5 to 10 feet, so 370 feet for a splash hit. Kind of surprising that nobody's done it as a right-handed batter. How often do you see a righty hit a ball straight down the line opposite field? True. And if they do, what is it normally? It's but, a cut fly ball. Right, and if there's any sort of wind coming in off. And if you have any wind, it's pushing right. back. Yeah. The place where you'd have a chance, the ball, the ball I hit in Kansas City into the fountains in right center against Shields, that's it's the only one that has a chance. But it exactly, it gets too deep there because yeah. you have to hit it really high to get it over that wall. It, it really is almost the impossible feat. You'd have to – this the only shot you got into that wind – is you got to cut a ball through it, right? It has to be a laser to right, and can you get it high enough to get over that wall? Because it's really yeah. going to play closer to 380, 390, 410, right? Like, down, the, down the line, that's tough. I've, I still feel like it's strange that it hasn't happened because it, it it's very rare, but it that rare things happen to me. <laughs> so wait, so wait a minute. You know, when, Who, when it happens, it's going to be like – Oh, it finally happened. But there's probably right now in Major League Baseball, if I the, like Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, uh, Prime Cruz. Miggy, yeah, yeah, Nelly doesn't hit balls to right like that, and he it, most like maybe, but there's probably like four guys years ago, that could yeah, do years it. ago, yeah. And but I'm I'm talking like somebody get, just randomly catch them. No, they get ten at bats. If you put one of those guys on the Giants, it'll happen, right? True. If yeah. if Judge had signed with the Giants, it probably happens. But you, the, the the problem is Stanton. Like the, they showed in that clip, Stanton hits a ball to right center. Posey had hit one that kind of hit off the thing that's above it that had a chance to go in. Yeah. Like Posey, like Posey wasn't a, Not a four ten opposite field yeah. guy, you know. So. You just need the right guy to have that as home field. Because if not, especially now, I mean, you're playing one series at San Francisco. In the in the past, it would be, you know, the NL West would get probably nine or ten games there. But you, you yeah. just haven't given the guys enough at-bats. That's why. And and the Giants haven't had the right guy to do it. I feel like a, like a Matt Kemp could have done it. Yeah, he could have. Now I'm thinking like NL West, Dodgers, Rockies. Who on the Rockies could have done it? You'd have to get a day game too. I think it has to be a day game. The ball doesn't fly yeah. there at night. It, I'm telling. It's 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 weird. It's a weird, and the, the wind is always blowing in from there, um, which normally doesn't play a factor in big league parks. But because it's so open there, if you hit it high it's enough, water. it's going to. Yeah, I, I I know why it hasn't happened. I, I am I offended by it. I wanted to be, but I was like, yeah, it's really hard. Uh, so you took BP there though. What was yeah. the, how the how did the ball? Did you yeah, do you remember if you left there or like? Yeah, I I, in BP? I mean I. I, I could pretty much I, every park I hit at. I never there was never a park in the big leagues where I felt like I couldn't go backside. The challenge is it gets it gets out pretty quick. It's a steep, so when yeah, you hit the, it there, the it's going to hit the yeah. wall. There was the same and it's reason a high I wall too. 
it's the same <laughs> reason I, I, I had what I have one Oppo Homer in Minnesota, maybe I think in my time there. Um, the high wall kills you when you're trying to go Oppo because it, it's just hard. Like you have to hit the line drive to right center. I have to get it to backside. It's really hard to not get it backside. If, if you don't get it, it's not going, it, it's, you're not going to, you're not going to leave over there. So you have to have a guy that has right center direction or a cyborg. Right. I feel like, I feel like Stan would have been the best chance there. Cause he, Stan he hit some, shot. he hit some really weird ones. Like just cause he, he does yeah. like he's, he slots it so hard and then he could just stick his bat out and he's a, and he hits a one hop line drive at the second baseman for a homer. He, that time he took BP yeah. at Rogers center, he had a line drive off the guy's kneecap for a home run. Crazy. I'll never forget. I'll never forget watching That's him take BP for the WBC, and his first like, and we're talking Marlins Park, which is not short to right. Yeah. And his first like, what would have been my like flip ball, like just get loose flipping balls oppo. We're going six rows deep and right. He 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 like was the only flare, guy that I would say to right watch. Is a homer. Yeah. When they came to Toronto, when he was in Miami. I, I stayed out to watch his first round, and literally, he's taking his get his his first round oppo swings, uh, and I literally was like, "Oh, it's a line drive at the second baseman slash in the second deck." Yeah, it's it's laughable. It's laughable. Big boy. All right. That's another all we have another major in, another major in the books. Another guy that nobody expected to win. Golf's fun for golf. Slash, it was people call it a dud. Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't very dramatic. But he played really well. I, it's funny when you yeah. like if you play golf. That's a good and player, you, man. When you're when you're playing well and you're swinging it free, and you're not thinking about it, it's it's a very simple game when you play well. Things get things get sketchy when it <laughs> gets less simple when you when you don't trust it as much. But it's so hard to trust it when there's consequence. And if you know he's if he loses a ball here or there, hits a ball over that 17th green, that could get sketchy quick. On that note, <laughs> here go out.